We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine 2022 Player Review Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson, and during the offseason, we'll dedicate podcast episodes to individual players, recapping how the past season went for them, covering their highlights, their lowlights, and have a guest join me to grade their season and look ahead to what the future holds for them. Entering the 2022 season, A.J. Pollock looked to be the Los Angeles Dodgers' fourth outfielder. For a team like the Dodgers, Pollock was one of the signs of strength with their overall roster. They could afford to have a $10 million fourth outfielder, as Pollock was one that still mashed left-handed pitching, but it was also dependable against righties. If any of the regular outfielders were to land on the injured list, any team would be hard-pressed to have someone like Pollock on their bench. With the Universal DH now implemented, there was a chance that Pollock could share those at-bats too. But Pollock was a luxury to the Dodgers, and in their process of finalizing the 2022 roster, they decided their last remaining hold-up patch-up was at closer. Just so happens that the White Sox had redundancy in that department. It also so happens that Craig Kimbrell was almost equal money to A.J. Pollock. See, Pollock was set to get paid $10 million in 2022, but he had a player option for 2023. That option started at $10 million, but it would raise $1 million when he reached 400, 450, 500, 550, or 600 plate appearances. So Pollock hypothetically, played 150 games, it would be feasible he could increase that 2023 player option to $15 million. But the Dodgers didn't fear that from happening. No way would Pollock get that many plate appearances in Los Angeles. Pollock, with his player option, had the $5 million buyout. So from a Dodgers perspective, it was even money. Kimbrels owed $15 million in 2022, while Pollock gets $10 million in 2022, but he also gets at least $5 million in 2023. From a White Sox perspective, Rick Hahn was in need of finding another outfielder to help start games in right field. It was very apparent in 2021 that Andrew Vaughn was not an outfielder. With Aloy Jimenez returning, he was also a huge defensive liability. 
The idea of having Gavin Sheets start in right field was borderline insane. So acquiring Pollock would help the White Sox stabilize the outfield defensively. And with Pollock being a plus 880 OPS player for the past two seasons, it would make the lineup stronger. We at Sox Machine loved the trade. Kimbrell's role was undefined and becoming a distraction with opening day just a week away. Pollock was the best that Rick Hodd could get for the amount owed to Kimbrell. Now, there's a debate of even picking up Kimbrell's option in the first place at the start of the offseason, but after the White Sox picked it up, this was the best they could do. So a week before opening day, Pollock had to switch clubhouses at Camelback Ranch at spring training, and instead of heading to Los Angeles with his Dodger teammates, he was heading to Detroit with his new White Sox teammates. Pollock made a good first impression at the plate, filling in for Tim Anderson batting leadoff as Anderson was suspended for the first two games of the season. Pollock went 3-for-5 with a double in RBI. However, playing in right field, Pollock appeared to be in position to catch Javier Baez's deep fly at the bottom of the ninth inning, but on replay, it showed that Pollock misplayed the fly ball as it hit the wall first and resulting in a walk-off loss. Everyone was talking about Pollock's defensive miscue rather than his great opening day at the plate. In the very next day, Pollock went 1-for-2 before having to leave that game due to a hamstring strain. Now, it's well known that Pollock is injury-prone. That was one negative with the trade. How many games would A.J. Pollock truly play for the White Sox? Pollock had only played more than 120 games twice in his 10-year career, and those were with Arizona back in 2013 and 2015. Pollock would return off the injured list on April 22nd, missing 11 games. The White Sox opted to not give Pollock a rehab stint to regain his timing at the plate. That would be a mistake, as Pollock would go over 15 in his next four starts with seven strikeouts. He did go two for four against the Angels with a double on April 30th, but the early return for the White Sox was Pollock only playing in eight games in the opening month and hitting 231. With a 250 off base percentage, it's lucky just 308. He only had two doubles, zero home runs in April. On May 9th against Cleveland, Pollock hit his first home run of the season. His three run shot in the eighth inning gave the White Sox an 8 2 lead. Many, including I, sitting in the stands, figured that was the dagger. Instead, Cleveland scored six runs in the ninth inning and would win that game 12 9 in 11 innings. It was the worst defeat of the season. May wouldn't get better for Pollock. He hit just 212 in that month with a 244 up base percentage at slug 341, as he only had two home runs. So you're two months into the season, 32 games played by Pollock, and he has a 579 OPS. The White Sox end of this deal wasn't going great. Things picked up in June. Facing his old team, Pollock had a good series against the Dodgers, going four for nine with four RBIs. He collected three hits against the Dodgers on June 9th. That was the Max Muncie home run after the intentional walking of Trey Turner on a 1-2 count game. Pollock would string seven consecutive multi-hit games. On June 17th, Pollock extended his hitting streak to eight games with a three-run homer against the Houston Astros. Pollock now had a 695 OPS, and it would race to a 701 OPS two days later when he went two for three with a triple against the Houston Astros. Unfortunately, that was the peak OPS for the season for A.J. Pollock. In the month of June, he had 268 with a 311 on base percentage and slug 402. Still not great, but it was better. 
And White Sox fans at that time were hoping that Pollock was turning a corner. Pollock hit 224, 298 on base percentage and slugged just 316 in July. So, so much for that. Obviously, the conversation changed instead of hoping that Pollock was going to turn a corner to hoping that Pollock is not on the White Sox much longer. He had no trade value with the upcoming August 2nd deadline, but there was, again, this pending player option that was a worry. Did the White Sox really want to be on the hook for a $10 million on an aging outfielder that stopped hitting? Of course not. So the idea DFA and Pollock became very real. However, if Pollock were to be let go, his player option would have automatically vested. And instead of trying to save themselves $5 million, the White Sox would have owed Pollock $10 million. The front office decided it was too much money to eat. With Luis Robert dealing with injuries, we saw Pollock play more center field. Not the best of ideas, as there was great worry about Pollock's ability to cover that much range, but he held his own. He was worth one out above average and had a very high success rate of 94%. That's a higher success rate than both Adam Engel and Luis Robert at center field during the 2022 season. In August, Pollock clubbed four home runs in that month, two of the slash light of 240, a 295 on base percentage, and slugging 417. Again, not great, but with the White Sox three games below 500 after getting swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks, it felt like the season's playing out the string, so might as well play out the string with A.J. Pollock. Entering September, Pollock caught a hot streak. He duplicated his season-best eight-game hitting streak, and he was starting to flex some power, hitting five home runs in the month of September. He had a four-hit game against the Oakland A's on September 10th, with the team making a last-minute rally trying to catch the Guardians. Pollock had himself a good game. Tied 1-1, Pollock was the benefactor hitting into a groundout that scored Jose Abreu, but the return throw back to first base for Cleveland trying to turn the double play resulted in a throwing error. Yohan Makata scored, and the White Sox were ahead 3-1. Like most White Sox-Guardians games, the White Sox bullpen couldn't hold the lead. It went into extra innings. The Guardians won but A.J. Pollock slugged a two-run homer in the 11th inning and had three RBIs in that crucial game. Pollock's last home run of the season came on September 23rd, a two-run shot against Detroit, but the White Sox stumbled in the end, resulting in a 500 record going 81-81. Pollock finished his 2022 season with a 242 batting average, a 292 on base percentage, slugging 389. That's a 681 OPS. Pollock did have 14 home runs and 56 RBIs. That's a career low at odd base percentage and sluggy percentage for Pollock. Pollock also had a career low walk rate at 6.1% and his second lowest ISO. His 92 weighted runs created plus is the lowest played in more than 50 games for a season. His war total, according to Fangraphs, was just 0.5 in 138 games. Very replacement level of production. So the White Sox didn't get what they wanted, and they may have complicated matters by continuing to play Pollock as much as they did. Pollock had 527 plate appearances, so his 2023 player option increased to $13 million for hitting those incentives. And the ball is at Pollock's court. Pollock must pick one of these directions within 10 days after the World Series ends. Option A. Pollock exercises his player option and returns to the White Sox for $13 million in 2023. Option B, he exercises his $5 million buyout 
and enters free agency. This decision will greatly impact on what the White Sox could do in their efforts to improve the roster for another run at the postseason in 2023. How will the White Sox react to Pollock's decision? Do the White Sox even want Pollock back in 2023? We'll discuss that after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining me now to continue the conversation about A.J. Pollock is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. All right, Jim. A.J. Pollock, how would you grade his 2022 season? Uh, I would say it feels like a D. A solid D? Yeah. I mean, like, we know he could have been worse. We've seen worse, so we know it's possible. <laughs> we know that he could have been hurt, so points for staying healthy, but that's really about it. Craig Kimbrell had 22 saves for the Dodgers with a 3.75 ERA and 60 innings with 72 strikeouts. That's the good. He had seven losses, ended up losing the trust of manager Dave Roberts late in 2022, so much that Craig Kimbrell was left off the Los Angeles Dodgers postseason roster. So who won the Craig Kimbrell for A.J. Pollock trade, Jim? The White Sox or the Dodgers? I think nobody won it in terms of like value, actual like baseball received. I think both teams got, you know, out from under what they wanted to get out from under. I would say that, you know, watching Pollock stay healthy enough to drive up his price, but also do nothing of particular value for the White Sox and having this option perhaps that he picks up for next year, continuing it. Makes me think the Dodgers may have won it ever so slightly because with Kimbrel they're done. You know, it's it's case closed. Disappointment, uh, but you know, they didn't need either player really for the uh, for the 2022 season. The way they failed in the postseason, really, I don't think Pollock addresses that at all. It's not like they had a a bullpen shortage that Kimbrel specifically contributed to like he was more or less fine or they 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 got by with them they also saw him implode a lot and just 
ran away from him when the games got to be really important and that didn't really end up mattering. Uh, but it's just more of a matter of like, they're done now. They're, they're free from Kimbrel. They can go on with their lives. Whereas the White Sox have this hanging over them. So I think if they're just looking for like, uh, which team ended its financial obligation sooner, uh, <laughs> then the Dodgers won the trade. And I think that's really what you have to, you know, what you have to look at. That. That is how I'm looking at it. That's why I'm saying like the Dodgers won this trade. Akimbrel had a 0.9 WAR, according to FanGraphs. AJ Pollock had a 0.5 WAR, despite playing 138 games for the White Sox. And the Dodgers are not on the hook for any money in 2023. Did the Dodgers get what they were hoping for out of Craig Kimbrell? No, they were hoping they would get the version of Craig Kimbrell that would be a lockdown closer for them. Closing out postseason games, they never got themselves into position in the National League Division Series against the San Diego Padres. So that never came to fruition, but they got more out of Craig Kimbrell than the White Sox got out of A.J. Pollock, which is kind of sad to say for an outfielder that played 138 games (laughs) compared to a reliever who only pitched 60 innings on the season. Yeah, it's funny uh, thinking about it when the Pollock trade happened. We thought like, wow, this is the best Rick Hahn could have done for Craig Kimbrell. And that still turns out to be true. Yes. It's just not a compliment anymore. No, it's not. No, it's not. So back to A.J. Pollock, the biggest decision for the White Sox this offseason, and they don't even get the chance to make it. It's Pollock that's making the decision for them. Which decision are you expecting him to make? Opting in? and getting paid $13 million next year, or opting out, taking $5 million from the White Sox and becoming a free agent? I think for him, like, yeah, I, I guess to do the math and try to simplify it, simplify the equation, it's basically whether he thinks he can do better than one year and $8 million on the open market. And with the way he played, and with the way that he turned into somebody who can really only play left field defensively and somebody who can only hit left-handed pitching as a right-handed batter, it would seem to me that $8 million would be hard to come by for a guy with that profile, especially somebody with his injury history hanging over him. Maybe some team will give him extra credit for being like one of the few White Sox that didn't get hurt. Or like he got hurt in April, but otherwise stayed healthy and ran okay and, and didn't look, I, I guess, visually encumbered by any kind of injury the way so many other White Sox did. So maybe, you know, a few points for that. But I don't know if he can do better than one year and eight million on the market. The one thing I can think of is that I'm thinking back to 2009 or or after the 2008 season with Orlando Cabrera, when he was going to be a free agent and he could have returned to the White Sox with the qualifying offer, I think, for compensation and I think, the, you know, both sides were, it was a weird trade because Cabrera was actually fine for the White Sox, but for whatever reason, like, they didn't like him. You know, that was a case where just the White Sox clubhouse magic started to come apart with the whole Ozzie Gian thing. And like, Cabrera was fine, like not much of a hitter, especially for the era, but played okay defense, uh, was worth 2.6 wins above replacement. So like he was, he, he filled a hole the way that we wish AJ Pollock filled left field for the White Sox. Like... I think they must have said, like, you know, you're not happy. We're not happy. If you come back, we're going to try. Or if you accept this deal, we're going to try to trade you. If you don't go any else, 
anywhere else, this is going to be a lost year for you. Like they must have like sent some kind of like a, um, we're going to make your life hell. Or maybe something short of that, but just this is going to be extremely an unsatisfying experience. So consider other jobs and other opportunities. And I think he had a hard time. Like I think he settled for a one-year deal with Oakland and got, yeah, I'm looking at his deal. He got he played 101 games to Oakland, then got traded to Minnesota in the middle of the year. But that was a case where just, it seemed like he could have done better or, you know, that he might have struggled to do better and the the White Sox retaining him was the best he could do financially, but it wasn't the best for him in terms of his career, especially they had Alexei Ramirez ready to go for shortstop. I think that was their backup plan that's or their their leverage and saying like, we want to go with Alexei at shortstop. You're going to have to fill in wherever we have you fill in. That's the one thing I can think for Pollock is just like they know he knows the White Sox don't want him. There's a chance he can do better. He can't be traded if he comes back or like it's going to be a similar kind of uh, late winter deal to where like it's just the second winter of just him maybe going somewhere and maybe going somewhere unimpressive in a exchange of contracts nobody wants. So maybe it's just a case where he can turn the page too rather than stick with a team that really probably doesn't want him. That's kind of where I'm leaning towards that. As elder millennials ourselves, Jim, for Pollock, I think it really, there's a, there's a lot of factors. One, do I want to play in Chicago? He didn't sign a contract with the Chicago White Sox. He signed a contract with Los Angeles Dodgers and was traded one week before opening day. So he had like no say where he was going to be played in 2022 until he gets a phone call that he's been traded and he's got to move his clubhouse locker across the way at Camel back to the to the White Sox side of the facility. So he didn't sign this contract with the White Sox. He signed it with the Dodgers because he wanted to play in Los Angeles. So if he doesn't like Chicago, he doesn't like the White Sox franchise, he could take $5 million and leave, you know, and he could pick where he wants to play next year. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, the accountants of the world will tell you 13 is greater than five, which is true, but there's also personal happiness that has to be tied into this. And Pollock, like 13 is greater than 9 or 10, which might be, you know, the, the math he's really looking at. Right. And there's the personal happiness. There's the personal fit for him on the ball club. I just don't know. Like, if A.J. Pollock did opt in, then it's truly about the money for him at this point. Because I think that's the only benefit for him returning to the White Sox. Like, this is not a good fit for either side. Pollock needs to go. Honestly, Pollock probably needs to go back to the National League West. Because the National League West actually has left-handed pitching. Mm -hmm. The American League Central is so right-handed dependent. There's so many right-handed pitchers in this division. And yes, you have the balanced schedule now. And you play every single team. But you still play more games against division opponents, and there's just not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of left-handed pitchers for AJ Pollock to feast on in the American League Central. Not the case in the National League West. Like a team like Colorado or Arizona could pick up AJ Pollock. So when they play the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres, there's lefties that AJ Pollock could feast on within that division. So it may make more sense personally for AJ Pollock to go sign or move back out West so he could face more left-handed pitching because he's not getting that in the American League Central. And it may sound like I'm trying to convince A.J. Pollock (laughs) to opt out so he doesn't come back to make the White Sox lives easier. 
I don't really care about making the White Sox run office easier, their life easier. They have made this mess for themselves, and they will make whatever mess for themselves again. But from an A.J. Pollock point of view, I'm taking the $5 million and I'm entering free agency and asking my agent to do the best that you can and get me back out west. I can see that. I just, you know, I'm I'm thinking that uh, the one thing I can maybe... If I'm the White Sox, if I'm Pollock, if I'm trying to figure out like where he is in his career, like the one odd thing is that when the White Sox picked him up, like he was supposed to be able to hit righties relatively well. And that just disappeared. It's almost like he saw he was traded to the White Sox and said like, well, what's the White Sox? You know, how am I going to fit in with this team? Like brand new team, uh, brand new clubhouse. Like, how am I going to make myself uh, feel like I belong here? Okay, I'll lose the ability to hit righties. <laughs> Everybody will accept me for who I am. And <laughs> maybe uh, it was just some kind of weird, you know, one, one of the weird things about the White Sox with the way they handled him was uh, when he came back from that hamstring injury that he suffered two days into the season, uh, like basically like clockwork, he got hurt. And he had no rehab stint. And that was, I think, the first of the very strange ways in which the White Sox handled injuries in 2022. I remember like him, you're rushing back and struggling for basically like the next month and thinking like, why was it so important that AJ Pollock come back? Like, you know, Charlotte's uh, underway. The other you know, affiliates are you know, going like, Hey, what's why, why is it so important to watch AJ Pollock struggle for weeks on end versus just have him go and get some at bats the, you know, after missing, I think like it was 11 games. Yes. In April. So it's just like there, there was, you know, the opportunity to just get a few tune up at bats and they just bypassed that. They rushed him back. He struggled and that was basically par for the course. So maybe the White Sox, you know, while he played a lot of games, perhaps they interfered uh, in a way that kept him from being his best self. It just happened so early in the season. And there were so many other injuries that were handled worse and, and, and ignored uh, in, a, in a more noticeable fashion. Like I'm thinking like Larry Garcia, thinking Tim Anderson, uh, Michael Kopech, uh, Luis Roberts, to where like their visible discomfort and their uh, metrics were all pointing to like injury and they just didn't get sat. But, uh, you know, Pollock was so early and, and more of a muted experience that maybe we're underselling it a little bit. That's really like the one thing I can think of in terms of like trying to figure out how he can be material, materially different in 2023 without it being just, you know, crossing your fingers for a dead cat bounce. I think that's the best that you can do, right, is the dead cat bounce. I mean, he did have back-to-back seasons in 2020, the short season, and 2021 with an OPS greater than 880, and that's fantastic, for any hitter in Major League Baseball. And then it cratered with the White Sox. And as you pointed out, Jim, he forgot how to hit right-handed pitching. So I think that's the best that you could hope for if he does opt in is a dead cat bounce. But that's what the White Sox hoped for with Adam Eaton. And that blew up in their face. And they ended up DFAing him in the middle of the season. And I just got this feeling like if Pollock does opt in, it's going to go back to the Orlando Cabrera situation that you pointed out that the White Sox are going to trade him. He has no say because he has no, like, limited trade clause. He could be traded to anywhere, and then he's got to be sitting on his hands wondering where he's actually truly played in 2023 until opening day. That's why, again, I'm kind of leaning towards Pollock is opting out 
taking the $5 million and enter free agency so he could pick where he wants to play. But if he does opt in with the White Sox, it's truly all about the money for A.J. Pollock. So let's look at it from a White Sox perspective. If A.J. Pollock opts in, what is the impact on the White Sox roster going into the offseason? And I'm starting to set up my offseason plan project blueprint, Jim, my virtual whiteboard in the Google Sheet, so I can keep track of where my payroll is before I start making any moves. So I create a 26-man roster for the White Sox with the players that are available. And thanks to MLB trade rumors, we have the projected arbitration salaries for the White Sox going to next season. If A.J. Pollock opts in for his $13 million deal in 2023, my offseason plan project before making any moves to trade or add players at free agency gym is at $171 million. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the impact is on the White Sox if Pollock opts in? I guess if I were trying to spin it positively, that prevents them from getting another Joe Kelly or Kendall <laughs> Graveman, you know, the $8 million reliever who <laughs> underwhelms. So there's that. That's really uh, kind of all I got. I mean, like, you know, aside from just crossing fingers they can be better the one thing i'm kind of curious about is that you know when it comes to uh pollock you look at his data and such like the you know sprint speed was more or less where it was like the plate discipline's not terrible it's just the exit velocity dried up i think it was a case where just the, the a lot of the contact was inconsequential um it wasn't a case watching him every day that you thought like oh he's about to get hot like there wasn't that was the kind of strange thing about watching was like I remember Melky Cabrera, I think you know, we're really taking a tour of Cabrera's past, but with uh, Melky Cabrera, like I remember his first year with the White Sox was a disappointment there, but there was like a spate of bad luck that he hit into. Like you felt like, you know, line drives, positioning, something like that. Just thought like he's losing his best. He should have a hot streak. That's not getting rewarded. And now like when the quality of contact normalizes and he, you know, encounters a slump he should get, that's going to take his numbers. Like sure enough, his first year was just more or less a, a wash. And it felt like there's better baseball yet to come, but it's also just like, you know, he gets a year older. And so like the White Sox lost the, the three months where Cabrera was hitting his hard contact two gloves is what they really needed in order to make his contract count. And like looking at Pollock, like his, his pop-up rate spiked, like he had 18% infield fly rate. So it's a case where like, you know, maybe his, uh, you know, bat speed slowing down ever so slightly, like his, he punished fastballs, uh, less. So maybe, you know, he's, this is the case where the decline setting in and it's just going to get, uh, he's going to become more limited as a player, or maybe there's an adjustment he can make to stave off like a permanent decline. But right now I, I don't see, the White Sox having a solution for him unless like Frank Menachino is fired and the guy they, they, they call upon specifically has ideas for somebody like AJ Pollock to help turn him around if Pollock is part of the plan. But it would be nice if like the White Sox got the AJ Pollock, they thought they were getting a year later cause he can still serve a purpose. But I'm thinking like, yeah, you mentioned Adam Eaton and it's kind of funny since Pollock, was the reason the Diamondbacks traded Eaton in the first place back uh, you know, a decade ago is because they had Pollock waiting in the wings. And <laughs> sure enough, it could be a case where like Pollock once again replaces Adam Eaton, except it's uh, at the end of his career uh, in Chicago. And that's not nearly as significant or promising for both players involved. But 
yeah, I'm just not seeing. I I want to 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 see like a way out for the White Sox and Pollock, but just watching him the entire season, unless he was playing with an injury that the White Sox didn't treat, which is very much possible given just. I think the credibility of the White Sox lost with their ability to, to identify and manage injuries that if he was healthy and, you know, playing without limitations, like I didn't see that, that, that kind of stretch there to felt like, Oh, he's clicked. He's really figured it out. Like all the homers came against lefties. So it just became like, he's a more and more limited bat. And, uh, the White Sox just got more of what they already had. So how does it impact the White Sox if AJ Pollock opts out? With my offseason plan project payroll, I'm not going to have Josh Harrison come back, so the White Sox will buy out that contract. The White Sox payroll would be at $164 million heading into the offseason, which gives you a little wiggle room to make some additions in the Sox machine offseason plan project payroll. I, I'm half expecting the budget to be at $175 million, so that would be like $11 million that you could work with, which is not a whole lot. If AJ Pollock opts out, how does the White Sox outfield situation look going into the offseason, Jim? I guess just cleaner, like it's not any better. Um, you know, that's the one thing is like they 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 don't have anybody really more promising wait later in the or I guess waiting in the wings. You have like if people are healthy, like Jimenez in left, Robert in center, and then just kind of the shrug slash, you know, Gavin Sheets in right, which nobody really wants, and you kind of go back to the drawing board, but that's really it. It's just, you know, he came, he played 130 something games. He was completely forgettable. And when we're thinking about like Ted's opening day Sporkle quizzes a few years from now, he might be a commonly missed uh, player. Like he might be one of those players who like gets like a 60% hit rate. Uh, <laughs> the way people remember like Cody Ashy as like the opening day DH, just like, Oh yeah. AJ Pollock forgot about him. Like, that was really a completely inconsequential player. So that's kind of how I'm thinking. Um, you know, his, his impact is just like, well, sometimes I forgot he was on the White Sox last year. Uh, and, and so it, it's going to be easier to forget or rem just remember that like, oh, he's he could have been the White Sox and he wasn't. It just he's he's around. So it's back to the drawing board, but as you mentioned, like it saves the White Sox a little bit of money, but not enough to make a game changing decision in right field unless they get aggressive or they just open a spot for Oscar Colas to take it over like by the end of April or maybe sooner if they want to give him the job in uh in spring training the way they gave Andrew Vaughn a job in spring training. Like maybe they just open it up for him. But I guess that's the one one difference between last year and this year is that like Colos, if they gave him the opening day assignment right field, I'd get it a little bit. Like I'd be excited to see what he can do. I wouldn't have high hopes for him. I'd be slightly worried that be, they'd be playing, placing like too many hopes on him carrying a position that they just should have solved years ago with Bryce Harper or, you know, somebody more ambitious, but the situation being what it is. And, you know, if you can set aside everything the White Sox have done, like all the scar tissue from year after year after year of failing to proactively uh, address right field, uh, Colas isn't bad as a plan A for right field because we've seen what he can do. We know that he can, at least at the minor league level, stay on left-handed pitching the way like few lefties in the minor leagues can. So if he were getting, you know, the everyday action and rights starting five out of six games, I'd 
be interested in watching those at bats like I'd watch every single one. I'd be writing about it a ton, so at least it'd be exciting. Well, we'll see what AJ Pollock does again within 10 days of the World Series. He has to make a decision. So at SoxMachine.com, we'll be covering that when he does make that decision, whether or not to opt in for the 2023 season. Do you feel like the White Sox are rooting for Pollock to opt out, Jim? Like, do you get the vibe that they don't want him to come back or they do want him to come back because there's just not a lot of quotes from the White Sox front office perspective on AJ Pollock this year. Yeah, I'm guessing they'd be they're they're rooting for him not coming back like not personally, like I don't get the impression that Pollock rubbed anybody the wrong way. He was certainly like a veteran quote in the clubhouse over the course of the season. Tried to take like a lot of, I guess, accountability or like address the team's play honestly, but he never threw anybody under the bus. He never said like, well, the Dodgers did it this way and the White Sox are really, you know, lagging behind. Like he, he, uh, you know, kind of kept his mouth shut and tried to play well and didn't. So like he, he was more or less like a responsible adult for the 2022 season, which, uh, you know, kind of uh, is something you can't say about like every White Sox player with the way they just, you know, uh, mismanage things, especially above him at the managerial coaching staff ranks, uh, front office ranks. So like he, you know, he tried, uh, didn't work out, but, um, just with the, not really having a future wanting Colos to play, like still having uh, to get a right fielder. If they don't want Colos being the plan, a, you know, just, there isn't a whole lot there for him. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't see a, a reason why they'd want him to come back. I think they probably have a case where, like, if we're stuck with them, we can use them for this, this, you know, like, you know, we have ways we think he can improve against right-handed pitching. We'll try to implement those. But ultimately, I think that they'd rather have that be some other team's assignments and they'd be wanting to turn the page to hopefully uh, between, like, Jimenez, Sheets, Vaughn, uh, you know, left field, first base rotation, and then uh, right field opened up for maybe finally a real right fielder of the future. We're still hoping, Jim. That's still a dream for White Sox yes. fans. But, Jim, thank you so much for helping me recap A.J. Pollock's 2022 season and perhaps his uh, career with the White Sox. Yeah, I'm, I'm one, one thing I'm looking forward to is, like, after all these episodes run, I'm curious, like, what the Pollock um, listen rate is. <laughs> or like the, you know, if you can get like the listen duration, like, uh, just, I'm curious if, uh, socks machine audience is just as indifferent to AJ Pollock as everybody else was, uh, over the course of the year, really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, again, for those that did listen to this episode, thank you so much for listening to this 2022 play review on AJ Pollock. If you just discovered the socks machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple music and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. And if you enjoy our work and want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. When we have new Sox Machine swag to the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. Your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? 
I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.